Welcome to the Bethel Church Austin Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this sermon by Pastor Renee Evans. For more information about this podcast and other resources, please visit BethelATX.com. Hello. Okay, guys, keep standing just for a second. I know, up and down. I'm going to ask Cass to come up. Will you come up, Cass? I just want us to take a few minutes together and pray for Israel. Um, I know that you all know that there's a lot going on. There's a lot of turmoil going on over there right now. And so just as a community of believers, we just want to cover Israel and the Israeli people in prayer. Amen. So we're going to pray together and have us Kes to come up and pray for us. Yeah. Maybe right before we pray, we can just say this to the Lord. Lord, give me your heart. Open my eyes, open the eyes of my heart to pray as you want me to pray. Okay, I'm going to pray, but I just want you to receive from the Lord and receive his heart for Israel in this situation right now. Lord, we thank you, God. We thank you, Lord. We, we pray Psalm 20, 122. We pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Father, we pray for peace. On every side, we thank you for your angels, God. We ask for supernatural protection over this nation, Father. They need it now, God. Break our heart with the things that break your heart, Lord. He who, who, who watches over Israel never slumbers. He never sleeps. He's continually watching over his people, God. And we pray for peace over Jerusalem, God. We pray for your protection over your Jewish people, and we pray for your protection over the Palestinians and Israeli Arabs, God. We pray for the children, God. We pray for a hedge of protection around the children, God, those, the innocent lives, Father God, those who are innocent. Father, we pray for your protection, your angels' wings of protection over every family whose feet touch that ground, God. Lord, and we ask that you would expand our heart to receive revelation of your heart for this nation and for these people, for these brothers, God, for Isaac and Ishmael. Thank you, God, for peace and unity in the land. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. Yes. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for your presence. Okay. Hi. You look good tonight. All right. I know we just prayed, but I need a little bit extra. Lord, help me. God, we thank you for tonight. We ask that you would just come in greater measure. We thank you for your presence that is already here, God. But we ask for more, God. We ask for more, God. More of your kingdom here on earth. Thank you, Jesus. We love you, God. Amen. Um, I may have to... Ooh, light change. I may have to change microphones. This feels very airy. Um, But we'll give it a go. Okay. I have been holding on to this sermon. I don't think this is going to work. You know what? Just give me a minute. Hello? Okay. Ah, that's better. Okay, I have been holding on to this word since October 12th, 2019. I know. And I've been so excited to preach it, but I just have not felt the release from God to preach this yet. Um, It was spurred on by something that I witnessed on the news uh, that got me very excited And the Lord just began to speak to me through this event that happened on October 12th, 2019. And I'm like, that is you. Like, this is a parallel to what is happening in the kingdom. And for us, a timely word for us. And then COVID, yay. 
Um, but then COVID happened, and I just have been meaning. I'm like, God, come on. I'm ready to go. I'm ready to go. And he's like, no, no, no. And so finally, this week, I felt like he said, now is the time to release this word. And the time is now, I believe, because whether you thrived in this last season or whether you just survived it, I believe that there is more and I believe that there is a fresh call to chase after God. Amen? Okay, I'm going to read a scripture. But let's do this. Cover your eyes for me and say, Jesus, give me new eyes to see. And cover your ears and say, Jesus, give me new ears to hear. I'm going to be speaking from a very well-known passage of Scripture tonight. And so the reason that I wanted you to do that is sometimes we can run into the danger of Scripture becoming familiar. Too familiar, in fact, that we actually lose the power that is behind it. Amen. And so every time I open up the Word of God, whether I've read that passage once or wherever I've read it a hundred times, I always ask God, I'm like, give me eyes to see and ears to hear what you're saying. We are going to turn in your Bibles for me to Hebrews 12, verses 1 through 2. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. I want you to say this with me. Let us run with endurance. The title of my message today is Run to Win. I know. It's probably no surprise by the title of my message that I am highly competitive. So I have to take this opportunity to just say, Janessa and I slayed this past week in shuffleboard. We beat all the boys. I didn't even know what shuffleboard was until I got there, and so I was very excited. Clearly, I'm competitive. I want to read this scripture one more time, and this time I'm going to read it in the Passion Translation for you. As for us, we have all of these great witnesses who encircle us like clouds, so we must let go of every wound that has pierced us and the sin that we so easily fall into. Then we will be able to run life's marathon race with passion and determination, for the path has already been marked out before us. We look away from the natural realm and we focus our attention and expectation onto Jesus, who birthed faith within us and who leads us forward into faith's perfection. His example is this because his heart was focused on the joy of knowing that you would be his. The joy of him knowing that you would be his. He endured the agony of the cross and conquered its humiliation and now sits exalted at the right hand of the throne of God. I'm just so thankful for his sacrifice. I'm just so thankful that he wanted to know you and me enough that he endured the unimaginable and the unthinkable. I want to camp a little bit. We're going to break this scripture down, but I want to talk about this one particular thing for a moment. It says, we must let go of every wound that has pierced us. Every wound. It says every weight in other translations, but that means burden, wound, disappointment, offense, and distraction. 
We must lay aside every distraction so that we can run our race. Amen? See, I think sometimes we think that the enemy's tactic is to break us. And yes, while that is true, his more common tactic is to simply distract us. And he's not that smart. See, he can actually simply distract us with a Netflix subscription. With a social media account. God didn't say in these verses, run if you're competitive. He didn't say, run if you like to win. I mean, I really don't know anyone who likes to lose, but obviously there are some people who are more competitive than others. But he didn't say, run to participate. He said, run to win. And what do we win? We get to give Jesus what he paid for. That is what we're running after. That is what we are running towards, is to make sure that Jesus gets his full reward. Not just with us, but with the people around us. So we run to win. Not for earthly gain or fame. We run to give glory to God. But guess what? In order to give glory to God, you must become glorious. You can't give what you don't have. And I hear so many times, but I don't want to steal God's glory. Guys, if we think that, we have no comprehension as to how glorious God is. To think that we could take his glory. But we run to win. And we run because Jesus deserves it all. Amen? Guys, come on. I cannot be the only competitive person in here. Do you like winning? I like winning. I like winning. But even more than just winning things that pass away. I like winning souls to the kingdom. I like winning people. I like people to experience and encounter the living God. I want to give Jesus what he paid for, and I don't want to be distracted. I don't want to drag behind me my wounds and my brokenness, my offense, I want to live fully free and fully whole so that Jesus can get what he paid for. Every single believer is called to run. See, but sometimes I think that a lot of us are just walking to participate. Just getting into heaven by the skin of our teeth. I might... Um, get some slack for this, but I'm going to blame my Australian culture. I hate participation awards. It's like I've got children in elementary and they get on the field and they get an award for participating. And I'm like, yay. <laughs> but also there is something to winning. <laughs> I'm glad that they took part. I will celebrate the fact that they try, but I'm not going to say, hey, buddy, why don't you go and lose? You know what will make you feel really good? Is if you don't try. But either way, you'll get a participation award. And we kind of have this culture a little bit sometimes that we just think that there's awards for participation. And there may be. We, I mean, there is. We get into heaven. But what do we do when we get there? What glory can we give to God, to Jesus, when we get there? 
I don't want to just participate. I don't want to just like dream about my mansion in heaven. I want to give Jesus something tangible. I want to say I lived my life running my race the best I could. But can I tell you when you run, it has to be intentional. I run hard, but I also rest hard. So I want you to hear that. I am not saying run until you pass out and run until you've got nothing left. I'm a big believer in rest and refreshing. But we can't just live a life of rest with no actual running. In 1 Corinthians 9, 24, it says this. Do you not know that those who run in a race all run? But one receives the prize. Run in such a way that you may obtain it. It doesn't say run just to participate. Run that you may obtain the prize for the race that is set before you. And everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown. But we, believers... For an imperishable crown. Therefore I run, thus not with uncertainty. Thus I fight, not as one who beats the air. But I discipline my body and bring it into submission, lest when I have preached to others, I myself become disqualified. Run in such a way that you obtain it. We're not on a leisurely walk. We are runners. You know, throughout the New Testament, and you can do some deeper study into this because I don't have time to go into all of it, but it talks about the different crowns that we can obtain. The crown of glory in 1 Peter 5, 4, where it says, and when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive a crown of glory that does not fade away. The crown of righteousness in 2 Timothy 4.8. The victor's crown in 1 Corinthians 9. We run in order to gain crowns so that we can cast them at the feet of our king. My dad is a marathon runner. I mean, he's 70 now, so he's, he's not anymore, but he still maybe sometimes tries to be, but he always throughout my whole life ran marathons. And so I grew up, my Saturday mornings uh, would either be at the training grounds uh, that he would go with his running club. We'd watch him run, we'd have a barbecue afterwards, or if he was running a marathon, my mom and I would get in the car, cheer him on, jump back in the car, drive to the next spot, cheer him on. <laughs> and all along the way, we would cheer him on until the finish line. And so I grew up with my dad as a runner. And so naturally, I thought, oh, this is in my genetics. <laughs> Running is not, I have found, a genetic thing that runs in my family. I started running about two and a half years ago. Um, and see, for me, I, I mentioned I'm competitive. I had to put a race in front of me in order to give me momentum in order to motivate me. And so nine months out, I set this half marathon, the Austin half marathon. I'm like, I'm gonna do this. So excited, started training, got less excited, <laughs> started running. And then when I actually started clocking the miles and not just like surviving the first mile, I'm like, whoa, there's a reason why not many people do this. <laughs> this is hard, this is hard. But there is so many parallels that I began to notice about running and life. And I think that's why we see in the Bible these analogies and metaphors of running and how the Lord says that there is a race that is set before us and that we are to run. Even the world calls it the rat race. So there is something about running and something about life that I believe that we can learn.
Now, I really wanted to get up here with my running leggings on and my sweatband and just kind of give you a visual, but I chickened out. <laughs> but I did wear my sneakers. So anyway, I want to show you something. We are going to queue up a little video. But on November 5th, 1984, a man was born in Nandi County, Kenya. And as a boy, he would run two miles to school every day. His life circumstances birthed his passion for running. And many of you hopefully know this name. And if not, I'm so excited I get to introduce you to him. His name is Eliad Kipchoki. And I want to show you this video because this man, just on October 12th, 2019, he ran a marathon in under two hours. First man, first person in history to run a marathon under two hours. Now, he had held world championships and gold medals from the Olympics and a numerous awards, but this one record that he gave his life to breaking, he had several attempts before. And two years prior to this, he actually, uh, you can watch it, it's called Breaking 2, and it's an incredible documentary, you can find it on YouTube, but it's about him breaking this two-hour record, and he missed it by 25 seconds. 25 seconds. But you know what he did? He said, next time, I got this. And so I'm going to show you a short video. I'm going to talk a little bit through it because I want you to pay attention to a few different factors that are taking place. But this is the final stretch when Eliad Kipchoki broke the world record for running 26.2 miles in under two hours. He's the guy in white. But pay attention to the men in black as well. He's getting quicker. He's racing right now. This is this is racing. Well, this is true racing. Shalane knows what this feels like through the streets of uh, Central Park in New York, whether it's in Berlin or London. But today is all about Vienna. Today is all about Elliot Kipchoge. Just to give you a little context, he is running a four-minute and thirty-second mile for twenty-six miles in a row. Has got to do this. He is uh, running right now faster than I can sprint over 100 meters. It's so gratifying to watch, watch him achieve that. He's almost there. He can see the finish line. That's the view from Elliot Kipchoge. You can see the finish line where we are looming into view. 157 and approaching 158. I think we can say with some certainty. And here he goes. He's going to do it. He's going. Says, come on, this is it. Shalane, a final this call from you. This is incredible. Elliot's performance is such a gift to the world. His running is a gift to all of us. You see I the man so running with him, cheering him on? Like They're not his competitors. They're his pace setters. Right now. I cannot stop smiling. 500 meters to go. He has the Hauptalli to himself. He's all the pacemakers. They're his trainers on the bikes next to him. into the history books here. They're cheering him on. 400 meters to go. Let's bring him home. This is history unfolding on the streets of Vienna this morning. It's he doesn't Saturday even look run, like he's hurting. Like never seen before. Listen at the noise. The crowd getting right behind him. Goodness me, 300 meters to go. He can see the finish line here. Neil Armstrong we had on the moon in 1969. We had Roger Bannister, the four-minute mile 65 years ago. Edmund Hillary, the first man to climb Everest in 1953. We have one minute to go. Elliot Kipchoge is on his way here. It's not this, gonna humble, be a minute. this humble farmer who used to run two miles to school every day and back. He used to go to the nearest town on his bike to sell milk at the local market. And now, through hard work and discipline, he's pointing. Come on, he says. Elliot Kipchoge has the hand of history on his shoulder. He has less than 200 meters to go. Elliot Kipchoge, let's keep an eye on the clock. Into the final 20 seconds. Elliot Kipchoge. Whoa. On his shoulder. 140. 140. The unofficial. Yeah, you can clap. That's amazing. Elliot Kipchoge storms into the history books in Vienna. 159.40, the unofficial time. 
the first man to run a marathon in under two hours. One final lung-busting stride for Kipchoge. One giant leap for human endeavor. And you know, Kipchoge was right. No human is limited. And now he can celebrate. No human is limited. I get emotional every single time I watch that, and then I try to run afterwards, and oh. Does it just make you want to run there? If you want a great challenge, I just challenge you to just try to run a mile in under 10 minutes even. I remember when my dad told me his best marathon time, I'm like, oh, you're old, I can totally beat you. I put it on the treadmill when I was at the gym, and oh my goodness, I could not even keep pace with my 70-year-old dad. <laughs> For half a mile, I was in pain. I was sprinting my hardest. Okay, I want to highlight a couple of things from this that I feel like the Lord asked me a series of questions when I was watching this. And I want to ask you the same questions tonight. And my first one is this, who is on your team? Who is on your team? Who are the ones inspiring you, training you, and challenging you? See, can you put that picture up for me, Anastasia? These are the men that were on Eliad Kipchoki's team, and even a few of them are missing. But these are his pace setters. And can I tell you, these aren't just ordinary men. Every single man in that picture is either a world champion or a gold medalist. These are the elite of the elite runners that are alive today and competing. Yet they all ran so that one man could win. They all put their reputations aside, their accolades, their agenda, for the goal of seeing another man succeed. So I want to ask you, who are the pace setters in your life? And they're not the people who make you feel the most comfortable. The reason there's so many of these men is because no one can run as fast as him. So they had to sub in for five-mile five stretches because they could only keep pace for that long. 41 men helped this man break the record. Who is going before you? Who is setting the standards that you are trying to obtain? Who is leading you and helping you succeed? I don't know about you, but I want to be a pace setter. Sure, I want them in my life, but I want to be that for other people. I want to be able to leave my pride, my agenda, everything, my reputation, to see other people succeed. I don't just want them in my life. I want to be that for other people. They're not there for your comfort. They're there to call you higher. You can take that down. just like to say there's an Australian in there, so I'm very, very happy about that. But you see, we have to be intentional with the people that we surround ourselves with. Because like attracts like. Like attracts like. What does that mean? It means if people feel comfortable gossiping around you, it's because like attracts like. If people feel comfortable complaining around you, it's because like attracts like. They obviously feel comfortable. But if people feel challenged and inspired, then like attracts like. There's a saying that's, I'm not sure who first penned it, but it said, show me your friends and I'll show you your future. 
But for some reason, we just let our friend circle happen to us. And then we wonder, when times are tough, why we're shaken. You don't know how many believers I know that have more non-believing friends than they do believing friends. Am I saying that you shouldn't have non-believers as friends? Not at all. I hope that you do. But they should not outweigh the on-fire, passionate for God, Bible-believing, Jesus-loving people in your life. Because I tell you, they will only ever cheer you to earthly gain. But if you want your heavenly reward, if you want to give Jesus what he paid for, then we better surround ourselves with people who are going in the same direction as us. We better surround ourselves with people who are going to call us higher, who are going to challenge us. Because our friends will become friends whether we're intentional about it or whether we're not. You ever hear the saying, they just fell into the wrong crowd? It's kind of what happens. It's not, it's not an untrue statement. But there's never intention behind falling. So if you don't want to fall into the wrong crowd, then we must be intentional with the people that are in our lives. Amen. If you are broken and hurting, then unless you intentionally find people who are healed and whole... You're just going to keep being broken and hurting. There's a reason why in AA meetings, they don't pair you up with a mentor who is also battling with the same addiction that you're battling. Right? They set you up with a mentor that is no longer struggling with the thing that you're struggling so that they can challenge you and call you higher. So they can show you what's possible. We've got to surround ourselves with those who keep us on course and those who have our backs. Can I tell you the reason that those men, if you notice, they ran in front of Eliad in an inverted V. And that was because they were breaking the wind for him to run after. So that it created a jet stream, if you will, for him to run. Who's creating a jet stream in front of you? Who's going to war on your behalf? Who's breaking through on your behalf? Guys, we've got to surround ourselves with people who have got our backs, but also who are pushing us in front. We cannot be the most anointed person in our life. Shameless plug. If you want to find great people who love Jesus, who love the church, who love to serve, then joining a serve team is going to be a great place to find those people. Now, can I tell you that when I got born again, I had one foot inside the church and one foot out for a long time. But it wasn't until I started serving And I started surrounding myself by people who were more in the church than they were out that I finally put the other foot in. And because I chose to be planted in the house, I flourished. But I intentionally chose the people I surrounded myself with. And I served with them day in, day out, not just on Sundays. I served with them. We built the kingdom of God together. And it is my greatest joy to watch those girls being all that God has called them to be. Some of them are missionaries, some of them are pastors, some of them are business owners. But all of them planted in a local house and all of them thriving. Does that mean that we or they have never been through a hard season? Not at all. But I tell you, it softens the blow when you have those people surrounding you. We are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. 
David Guzik, a theologian, says that they are not surrounding us merely to watch our lives, but they are witnesses to us of faith and endurance. They are cheering us on, but not just that, they witness to us faith and endurance. Who are the people cheering you on? I loved watching those men raising their fists and cheering as though that was their victory. Because it was. And that's the way that we got to see it. When one of us succeeds, we all succeed. And there's so much available in the kingdom that we don't have to get protective thinking that there's not enough. We got to get behind one another. It would be my greatest joy to raise up pastors and preachers that go way beyond where I will ever go. That is how I know that I will be successful. Not by how far I get. See, here's the thing. If we've got these pace setters and we've got these cheerleaders and they're pouring into our life, then the natural response is to pour back out. It's called discipleship. And we all know that stagnant water gets stinky. So if we have all these people cheering us on, and we're not cheering other people on, raising other people up, we're going to get stinky. It's true. Who are you pouring into? Who are you setting the pace for? When was the last time you texted someone or called them and just said, I'm praying for you today. I believe that you are called to great things. When was the last time you sat down with a friend and said, share your dreams with me so that I can not only cheer you on, but help keep you accountable to the dreams that you're having? Because we don't just need more spectators in our life, do we? We want the people who are going to get in there and get dirty, get messy, sort through the pain, celebrate the victories with us. And we need to be that for other people. Another question that I got asked was, who's your commentator? Romans 12.2 says, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. 2 Corinthians 10.5 in the Passion Translation says, We can demolish every deceptive fantasy that opposes God and break through every arrogant attitude that is raised up in difference to the true knowledge of God. We capture... Like prisoners of war, every thought and insist that it bow in obedience to the anointed one. We capture every thought as though they were prisoners of war. That is strong language. That doesn't feel like a suggestion to me. It doesn't feel like capture your thoughts when you've got the energy to do so when you've got the margin to do it. Actually, it's when we don't that it most counts. Now, when I started running, I was faced with a big conflict. And this was it. And I brought it to Joaquin, and he really didn't help me. But I said, if I go to the Olympics, would I run for Australia or the United States? And I'm like, babe. I'm having trouble figuring this out. Help me. What would I do? He's like, well, let's cross that bridge when we get to it. <laughs> and I was like, oh, you of little faith. <laughs> but can I tell you something that helped me in my training when I was running? I would have the voice of a commentator in my head. And I know it sounds really ridiculous and really silly, but it works. So you can feel free to try it out, and I guarantee you'll run faster and further. This is what I would do, right? I'm running, and I'm starting to get tired, but, you know, I've got half a mile left. And so my commentator kicked in, 
And I'm like, and Renee Evans is in the lead. And she's just about to take over the Ugandan that's coming up behind her. Can she make this sprint? Here she goes, the last 30 seconds of the run. Can she take gold for Australia? Watch her breakthrough. And I would be screaming to myself in my head as though I was running in the Olympics. I ran with intention. And can I tell you this, and this is what every runner knows, is that your mind will take you further than your body can. See, the battle with long distance running, and this is a marathon of life, not a sprint, but the battle with running a marathon, it's not your body, it's your mind. Every runner will tell you that if you can conquer your mind, then your body will respond. We compete against ourselves, And here is the beauty of it, that the race that was set before you is yours. Not mine. I'm running my race, but Joaquin has a different race that's set before him. And Eddie has a different race that's set before him. Every single one of you is running the race that was set before you. So there's no competing against other people. And we have to be careful that we don't compare ourselves and our race to the people around us. And that's why Jesus said, fix your eyes on Jesus. Fix your eyes on Jesus because he knew that we are prone to distraction. He knew that we beat ourselves up. He knew that we compare ourselves to one another. And he's like, hey, hey, fix your eyes on me. This is your race, not the person next to you. But you see, we look all around. It says, cast off the weight, cast off the distraction. We look all around at whatever is happening around us. I'm like, man, that girl's outfit is so much cuter than mine. I should have bought those leggings. Oh, my goodness, how does her hair stay in that ponytail? That is incredible. Oh, my gosh, look at her form. That is so much better than mine. We just do this in life about everything. We look from left to right, and we get distracted, and pretty soon we either trip up or we find ourselves running in a race that was never set before us. But we are running a race that was set before us. So we compete against ourselves. In order to compete against yourself and in order to run this race well, you have to be internally motivated. You gotta be internally motivated. What is it that motivates you? Because running in races are the cherry on top. But can I tell you that man, 99% of the time that he ran, it was not in a race. 99% of the time that he ran, it was when no one was watching. It was when it was raining and he didn't want to get out of bed. It was when it was blazing hot in Austin with the humidity, and he chose to run anyway. We have to be internally motivated. If our only motivation comes from the comparison of those around us, then as soon as the crowd disappears, so does our momentum. See, we live in a time where people are desperate for attention, for recognition and praises. And those are not all bad things. We all need a little bit of encouragement, right? We do. But if that is what motivates us, oh, can I tell you, that is when our anxiety gets the best of us. That is when our moods and our emotion begin to govern our life instead of our spirit. If we are not internally motivated, living for the applause of one, then you won't get up when it's raining. And you won't want to run when your legs are sore. 
But can I tell you that if you set before yourself the prize of giving Jesus what he paid for, then it is not hard to run at all. It is not hard to run for the one who gave it all for you. Eliad Kipchoki said this, Only the disciplined ones are free in life. If you are undisciplined, you are a slave to your moods and emotions. Runners are disciplined people. They are disciplined. And can I tell you, when you're running a marathon, you don't just get up there and hope for the best and not train. And there are things that you're going to learn along the way. You may trip up. You may fall over. But thank God we serve a God who picks us back up. Thank God we serve a God of the first, second, third, 1,000th chances. But our part is to be disciplined. Our part is to run with intention to surround ourselves with people who are going to push us further than we could have gone on our own. Our part is to control what happens here. You know, every single person in your life shouldn't have the same volume in your head. I feel like some of you need to hear that. And just because you were maybe born into a family... That doesn't mean that they have the right to be the loudest voice in your head. We have to surround ourselves. And we have to turn on to high volume the people around us that are cheering us on to finish our race well. There are so many incredible men and women of God who have not run their race to completion well. They started off running well. And we see this throughout revival history. You do not have to go far. You can open up a newspaper, unfortunately, and read all about it at any point in history, about pastors falling, about moral failure, and no one ever sets out to race thinking, I'm going to have an epic fall near the finish line. No one. But if you don't put the people in your life that are going to stop that fall from happening, then the fatigue of the race will take you out. It says, lay aside the sin that easily ensnares us. There is a sin that ensnares us. And we've got to be diligent. And we've got to have people that can see better into our lives. Here's the deal, though. It actually means that you have to trust people sometimes more than you trust yourself. Can I tell you the common denominator in people who are socially unaware? They don't know they're socially unaware. It's so easy for us to have blinders on. It's so easy for us to not see the blind spots. We have to bring people along that are going to call out the blind spots in us. And we have to trust them enough that even if we can't see it, that we are going to go by what they say. That we trust them enough that they're out for our good. That they're our champions. That they are going to say, hey, that doesn't feel right. That doesn't look right. Can we talk about this? I've been meaning to talk to you about something. And how we respond to those conversations, it will determine how far we go. It will determine whether we finish our race well or not. One of my greatest joys is seeing men and women of God who are just these incredible pace setters for all of us. Like the Billy Grahams, the Reinhard Bonkies, 
who ran their race well. And they all had incredible people surrounding them. Actually, incredible people that could have been just as anointed, but actually gave their all to see that person succeed. What do we do when no one is watching? And what we do do will determine how we run when the world is watching. I would so much prefer to be corrected in private by a trusted friend than fall in front of many. Can I tell you, though, at the same time, it's okay to be tired. I have to tell that to myself every single night at 7 p.m. <laughs> before I tackle bedtime. Anyone with toddlers? I think it doesn't, like, bedtime just saps the life out of you, right? It's like you're going up to bed to put the kids to bed, and it's like you've got all this energy and all these hopes, and you're like, I'm going to get downstairs, I'm going to clean the kitchen, I'm going to write this book, I'm going to... And then you go upstairs, and it's like... And then you come downstairs and you're like, I just want to go to bed. <laughs> no, just me. <laughs> okay. Just, well, Joaquin and I. <laughs> it's okay to be tired. It's okay to take a break. It's okay to receive refreshing. In fact, we should do that so much. But I think sometimes, I think sometimes, we throw the baby out with the bathwater. And what I mean by that is this, is sometimes when we get caught up in religion, we can, we can get caught in this trap of it's just striving, striving, striving. And we don't want to just strive in our own means. We don't want to strive to exhaustion. Yet at the same time, the Word of God tells us to strive. So there has to be a balance. There has to be a balance between healthy rest, but can I tell you there's nothing more rewarding than getting into bed at the end of the day exhausted. I used to complain to God. I'm like, God, I'm tired every time I fall into bed at night. And he said, why don't you just thank me that you lived a full day today? And I'm like, huh, that's a great way to think about it. And now when I go to bed exhausted, I'm like, I put in a good day today. I ran as fast as I could run. I ran when it hurt. I was dragged by some of my pace setters <laughs> through certain seasons. But I put in the effort and I ran my race well. And Jesus deserves it all. He deserves it all. And can I tell you, I want to get to heaven like I get to the end of my day. I want to get to heaven knowing that I gave it all. That my body may be tired, but I gave everything I could to see Jesus get his full reward. I don't want to just have a participation award. I want to run to win. Can I get you all to stand up for me? It's funny sometimes how we read the Bible, isn't it? We all have our own prejudice and bias. We all have our own lenses that we look through when we're reading the Scriptures. But it is interesting sometimes how we can... Let our personalities be an excuse for some of the commands in the Bible, right? Sometimes we can be like, oh, you know what? Evangelism is for those crazy extroverts. 
I'm an introvert, God. Clearly, you did not mean me. But evangelism, it is not a personality trait. It is a mandate. Meaning it doesn't matter if you're an introvert or an extrovert. And just like the command to run your race, it doesn't matter if you're competitive or not. I tell you what, the race is going to happen with or without you. I don't know about you, but I want to run like I just got those brand new sneakers. The ones that you like smell before you've worn them. And they just smell so good. And you just know that you and these sneakers are going to do some miles together. I want to run every day like I got brand new sneakers. <laughs> so I want to pray for two groups of people tonight. I want to pray for those who have been running. And they've been running. And they've been running. And they are exhausted. And it is okay to be exhausted. And then I also want to pray... For those of us who just need one of those like little squeegees. You know when you're running and you have these little like protein squeegees? No? Okay. It's like about this big. You rip them off. You squirt them in your mouth and they give you that next 10 miles. <laughs> squeegee? Squeezy. Squeezy. Squeegee. Oh, that's like a window washer, right? Maybe I need a squeegee and a squeezy. <laughs> so if you're one of those people and you've been running, or even if you say, Renee, I don't have anything left to run. I'm just barely making it. If that's you, I just want you to put your hand up. Because I want people to surround you right now, and I want them to pray for you. And I want them to get prophetic words for you. No pressure. The prophetic is easy. It's just encouragement. When you hear from God and encourage someone with what God is saying, that's it. The prophetic's not scary. But as believers, I want to surround our brothers and sisters I want us to become the pace setters, the cheerleaders, and to give them some hope and to give them some refreshing and refueling for the race ahead of them. So I want us to take a couple of minutes and do that, and then we're going to come back and we're going to pray for the squeezies, not the squeegees. Okay, go for it. Find someone. If that's you and you just need some encouragement to keep going, then just put your hands up, and we want to pray for you.
okay, just take another minute. the ministry team to come up front. I love this, the church being the church. I want you to place your hands on your heart if you're in the middle of ministering to someone, then don't stop. But if you're not, just place your hand on your heart. God, I thank you that you have called us not just to run the race, but to win. And Father, I thank you that you are with us every single step of the way. God, I'm just asking that you would just give us resilience and endurance to run our race as well. I'm asking, Father, that you would just begin to highlight to people those that they need to bring in, to bring close, to champion them, to set the pace, to inspire and challenge them. And God, I thank you for highlighting the people in our lives that we are meant to turn the volume up and the volume down on. But Father, we thank you that you are the great commentator of our life. And we thank you that Jesus, as we fix our eyes on you, that you will give us sustenance for the race ahead, that you promise to be with us always. And Jesus, I ask that you give each of us a new boldness within us, God, a new resolve to see not just your kingdom come here on earth, but to see heaven populated and to see you, Jesus, get your full reward. We love you, Jesus. We love you, Jesus. We're so grateful for you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. If you need prayer, I want to invite you to come down the front to our incredible ministry team. They're going to pray for you, encourage you. Can I encourage you this week as homework to reach out to someone? Reach out to someone who challenges you in the faith. And reach out to someone else that you can challenge and champion this week. We can go so much further together. We are better together. Amen.
Amen. Have a blessed week. Hope that you find rest, but I hope that you run and run to win. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to the Sermon of the Week. For more information about this podcast and other resources, please visit BethelATX.com.